Father, thank you. Thank you for being a God who wants to communicate with us. God who's promised to send us the Holy Spirit. We pray that you touch our hearts afresh. You give us a, a more beautiful picture of who you are that leads us to a deeper trust in you in our day-to-day life. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. If you had seen him, you might have felt sorry for him. He, he was homeless, and as he walked along, his clothing, uh, it, was, it was quality, but he was obviously a peasant. And he looked exhausted. He'd been, been traveling, and not only this, he was, he was in that part of the country that you didn't want to go to. He was around those people that, you know, it's not safe to walk there at night. It's, it's the group of people that we didn't really like being around. And, and he's exhausted. It's the middle of the day. It's really hot. He's thirsty. He's tired. And he sits down. You might have looked at him and felt really sorry, like, like he's lacking a whole lot of things, like he's, he's missing things in his life, like, like maybe there was something you could add to his peace his happiness in life. But then I want you to think about another man. This man, he had it all. This man, he had such an abundance in his business that he continued expanding and expanding. And pretty soon he was convinced that, hey, I have everything I need to retire if I just enhance my investments just a little bit more. If I double down, I'm going to be able to enjoy my life. He had everything he could possibly want. As you look at these two, you might wonder, well, well, who is it that's the happiest? Who is it that, that is at peace? Who is it that has rest that's going to be able to enjoy their life? Go with me to Revelation chapter 14 and open your Bible to Revelation chapter 14. We've been looking at this third angel's message. We've taken a little bit of a break from it, but we're going to dive back into Revelation chapter 14 and verse 11. We looked at the first phrase of this about the smoke of their torment ascending forever and ever. And we've analyzed that and we've looked at that and we've seen the beauty of what God invites us to and the incredible warning of what He wants to save us from if we're only willing. Revelation chapter 14 and verse 11, after saying the smoke of their torment ascends forever, it says this. It says, And they have no rest day or night who worship the beast in His image and whoever receives the mark of his name. They have no rest. Another way to say that is, this is basically torture. Did you know that the CIA actually uses sleep deprivation, or they, I should say they've used in the past, sleep deprivation as an interrogation process, keeping people awake for 180 hours? I don't know how they can come up with any cognizant answers at that point in time. But this is seen as, as basically a form of torture, and, and as psychologists have looked at this, they said, your, your immune system's going to break down. Your, your psychological faculties are going to break down. You're not going to be able to function properly if you don't get sleep for 180 hours. Most bodies can function without sleep for about 24 hours, and then things start to go really wrong. And we're looking forward to having a baby in February. And we're, we're thinking about this. You know, we went through this before with twins. Maybe it'll be a little different with one baby, but it's tough to lose sleep. As those of you who are recent parents know, 
Well, it's worth it. Once that baby comes, the love, it awakens you and it gets you up and it gets you there to be there with them in the middle of the night even. But here you find a group of people who they have no rest day or night. And, and what's the, the cause here? It says they, what do they do? They worshiped the beast and his image and they have the mark of his name. They received the mark of his name. This is a group of people who has embraced this false system of, that we looked at it's all the way last fall, we looked at it in detail, of a church who is influencing the government to enact her policies in order to oppress people. And they're going along with it, either because they're all on board with it or because they're seeking to protect themselves to watch out for their own good. Now, contrast this, okay? Because we, how many of you want to be a part of those who have no rest day or night? Okay, good. I didn't see one single hand. Contrast that with Matthew chapter 11. This is the opposite invitation that you and I and every human being on the planet is given. And this is the the good news that we get to give to the world. Matthew chapter 11. And we're going to start in verse 27. Oftentimes we start in verse 28. But verse 27 gives us this beautiful picture that leads into the following verses. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 27. 27. And by the way, if you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to go grab one off the table there if you'd like to follow along. Or if your fingers are too cold, that's fine. Just keep them in your pocket and and listen. But Matthew chapter 11 and verse uh, 27 says this. We're finding it. There it is. All things have been, this is Jesus talking, all things have been delivered to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. So what's the context here? What is Jesus talking about? He's talking about a revelation, making known who God is and the Father and who the Son is, recognizing what is the character of the deity. What is God like? And in context of of this, making known who God is at heart, what He's like, Jesus goes into this incredible invitation in verse 28. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28 says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus says, come to me. If you come to me, I promise you, in in my presence, when you come to me, I will give you rest. What does that look like? Take my yoke upon you. What is a yoke used for? A yoke is used to to take two oxen, and it was used for centuries, or millennia probably, in order to a farmer to be able to double his his oxen power. In order to be able to, to plow his field properly, he would yoke the oxen up, and they would be able to do a task together in plowing a field or whatever the task was. A yoke was to, to keep those cows together, and it was easier for them to be able to bear a burden, the oxen, to be able to pull a burden because they were yoked together. They were kept close together. It's interesting, throughout most of the Bible, this idea of a yoke is a terrible idea. It's the, the, the thing that oppressive kings have for people. It's the, the thing that, that God is longing to break off the necks of the Israelites who are captive to the Pharaoh. It's the thing that, that people don't want, is this yoke of bondage. But here Jesus invites us to a different kind of yoke. A yoke that brings rest. That brings peace. 
that brings everything that you and I are longing for. Because we are united with Jesus. And that's what it's all about. In the end, there's two groups of people. There's, there's those who choose to be separated forever from Jesus. And there are those who say, I just want to be with this incredible God of mercy and grace. Take my yoke upon you. And notice this, and learn of me. So we're going to try to do that this morning. Is that okay? We're going to try to learn a little bit about Jesus and about the rest that he taught about. For I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your, what does it say there? For your souls. He, he's not just saying your life is, you're just going to have eight hours of sleep every single night. He's talking about a deeper level of satisfaction, of joy, of peace, of rest in Christ. Your soul will experience rest. I think we're living in a world that's longing for this. Verse 30 goes on to say, For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Friends, is the Christian walk easy? Is the burden that we bear as Christians light? We're real hesitant to say that, aren't we? We're like, well, hang on. You can't just say that. But Jesus said it. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. It's okay to say that being a Christian is a good thing, that it is the easy path in life because Jesus is the one who said it. Now, let's take a moment to to unpack how Jesus reveals this rest to us. Go to Luke chapter 12. So, when Jesus says, come unto me all you that labor, that word for labor, Jesus uses three other times. And two of them are the same exact phrasing that he's using in the same exact context. One's in Matthew, but we're going to go to the the one in Luke. And then we're going to look at when he mentions it in John at the end. So Luke chapter 12. In Luke chapter 12, we find Jesus using this word, but we need to dive into a story that he tells leading up to using this word, labor. In Luke chapter 12, he's been asked from the crowd, somebody speaks out to him and says, hey, teacher, my brother, he's mistreating me. He's not giving me my portion of the wealth. Can you tell him to divide it with me? And Jesus looks at him and says, who made me a judge and an arbitrator over you? And then he says, even if you had a lot of wealth, your life wouldn't consist in that. And then he goes on to tell them this parable. Verse 16, then he spoke a parable to them saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns. How many barns does this guy have? He has more than one barn. He says, I'm going to tear down my barns. He has multiple barns already, but apparently his property is small enough that he says, I'm going to pull down my barns and build greater barns, and there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my, what does he say? To my soul. Everybody is looking for that deep level of satisfaction, not just the, the ease that comes from having your basic necessities and wants, but people are longing for peace. They're longing for a rest of soul. I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. Take your ease. That word ease is the exact word that Jesus uses when he says, come unto me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. 
This man says, I found it. I figured it out. I'm going to have rest because I have worked hard. I have paid off everything and I have enough good stored up. I have a good retirement ahead of me and I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. Verse 20, but God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. This was the first person that, actually the second person that we talked about today, the person that we might look at as saying, he has the American dream, he has everything that, that, that we're all dreaming about. But God calls him a fool in the end. But then notice where Jesus goes next. And this is just so beautiful. Just let these words sink in. No matter how familiar you may be with some of these words, let them sink in like you're hearing them for the first time as Jesus is speaking this to a crowd of people. Then he said to his disciples, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Is life more than food and clothing? In that day and age, those were the, the basic things that they were desperately trying to make sure that they had enough of. For us in America, we can say, oh yeah, sure, life is more than that. There's a lot of other things that I, I worry about in life because we have food. We have clothing that, that usually that is abundantly provided for. But Jesus is trying to, to lift their eyes higher beyond the physical necessities of life, the physical pleasures of life, to something that is far more soul-satisfying. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? You see where he, he tells them not to worry. And I could just tell you, okay, don't worry. Now go home. Does that take care of your worries? But Jesus is wanting their, their lack of worry to be rooted in something. Their ability to move beyond worry to something else in saying, hey, the bravens, they don't have to store up treasure because God cares for them. And you are valuable to God. Far more valuable than those birds that he takes care of. You see, Jesus wants your understanding of your value to be what takes away the anxiety and worry in your life. You're valued and treasured by the infinite God of the universe. And, and now here we go on verse 27. Oh, oh, actually we skipped a couple of verses. Verse 25, And which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? Can you force yourself to get taller? No, of course not. If you then are not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. There's our word for labor. He says the lilies, they don't even have to labor. They don't have to spin clothes. They don't have to labor. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. The, the lilies, they don't even have to labor. And yet, I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. And this is incredible to think about because Solomon, I've just been reading through the, the history of Solomon as you read in 1 Kings. And Solomon is this guy who during his time, the, the stones were just like, the silver was like stones, they said. It was... It was 
not valuable anymore because there was so much wealth during Solomon's time. And the queen of Sheba comes to see him. There's kings coming from all over who just want to see Solomon in his dazzling glory. And Jesus says, compared to the lily that nobody even notices, that maybe no person even sees, Solomon's glory was nothing. Had nothing on that lily. And this is, this is fascinating given that, that we're talking about those who receive the mark of his name who are having no rest day or night. You have to think back to last fall when we talked about that number 666, that number that represents what the beast is all about. And we looked at that the only other time that that number is used with reference to an economic situation, one of the main times that it's used in the Bible can you guess who it's used to refer to? To Solomon. It's used to, Sol- to refer to Solomon who was using forced labor in order to build the temple, to build his own palace, who was buying uh, all these horses and chariots from Egypt, things that God had instructed him not to do, who was getting hundreds and hundreds of wives and concubines. He was seeking pleasure in every possible way, desperate to fill the longing of his soul. And it says that he was receiving yearly 666 talents of gold. He was a part of an economic system that was oppressing people. And this gives us a reflection of what's going to take place in the end. You have people who are worried about their stuff. They're worried about increasing their wealth. You have people who are worried about themselves. But not even Solomon in all of his glory is clothed like just one of these lilies Jesus says and then he goes on to say this if then God so clothes the grass which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven how much more will he clothe you oh you of little faith how much more does God care about you than he cares about the grass and about the lilies if you are feeling worried about life if you're feeling anxious the the answer to that is knowing your value in the eyes of God Our faith is not working up to figuring out how we can believe enough good things are going to happen to us, but it's believing who God is and how He feels about us. Knowing what God is like in heart. That's why Jesus invites us. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Learn about who I am. Sit at my feet and get to know who God really is goes on to say, and do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. Don't be anxious. We need that today. It says, for all these things the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you need these things. Are we living in times where anxiety is at a, a high point? In fact, I was just reading uh, here in preparation for this that there was a Gallup poll that's been going on since 2006, and they found that 2020 was the year with the highest anxiety since the Gallup poll has started checking on anxiety. 40% of adults said in 2020 that they felt worry or stress a lot of the previous day when they were surveyed. That was a jump from 35 to 40% between 2019 and 2020, which means that's an increase of 190 people who are 190 million people who are feeling this angst in their lives. But along with that, 
There was record levels of sadness. 27% of respondents felt record levels of sadness. And anger. 24% felt a lot of anger. What were some of the main things in 2020 that were stressing people out? Well, you can guess what the number one was. It was the COVID pandemic. 78% responded about that. Healthcare, 66%. Mass shooting, 62%. Climate change, 55%. High suicide rates, 51%. Immigration, 47%. Widespread sexual harassment, 47%. And the opioid heroin epidemic, 45%. A lot of things that people are worrying about, that they're stressing about, that they're thinking about. And we as Christians are not immune to this. We as Christians tend to begin to get sucked into worrying about what's going on in the world. And Jesus wants for you to know today, you don't have to be anxious about your life. How? How? How do I have this this release from anxiety? First, before we go a little bit further in what Jesus had to say, the desire of ages, um, talking about this invitation that Jesus is longing to make to us, says this on page 330. There are many whose hearts are aching under a load of care because they seek to reach the world's standards. We, we think that we have to have certain amount of stuff in our life. They have chosen its service, accepted its perplexities, adopted its customs. Thus, the character is marred and their life made a weariness. In order to gratify ambition and worldly desires, they wound the conscience and bring upon themselves an additional burden of remorse. The continual worry is wearing out the life forces. Our Lord desires them to lay aside this yoke of bondage. He wants us to take off that yoke of worrying about our lives, worrying about what's going on. And it reminds me of a night where I couldn't sleep. I was tossing and turning. I was in the front seat of my Honda Accord, the very first car that I had, 1991 Honda Accord. I was tossing and turning, trying to sleep, In my car. Not a very smart thing to do. If you've tried to do that, it doesn't work well to sleep in a Honda Accord. And I was tossing and turning as I was thinking about things. You see, that summer I was working at Camp Wawona. And over that summer, you would think that my ambition would be as a counselor to make sure that as many of these children come in contact with Jesus and have a wonderful time at summer camp as possible, right? But no, when I got to summer camp, I was excited about a girl that I found there. And I was excited about this relationship. And pretty soon that was my focus. And, and I remember when the boys director came and said, um, Zach, have your boys showered in like days? It's midweek. Have you gotten them to shower? You mean I have to get them to shower? They won't shower on their own? What? I didn't sign up for this. I'm here to have a fun summer. It was about me. It was about having a fun summer. But here's the thing. Midway through the summer, it's my day off. And we go rock climbing with this girl that I'm in a relationship with now who's suddenly really flirtatious with this other rock climbing director who's really good at rock climbing, far better than I am. And pretty soon they're off having a fun time. And I'm thinking, what's going on here? And I found that time and time again in my life that when I'm focused on me and finding satisfaction for everything that I want in my life, I always wind up feeling restless and unsatisfied. And that night, I just decided to sleep in my car and I could not sleep, tossing and turning. And that reminded me of the the coming years where I stayed with that girl and we went off to La Sierra University and 
And month to month, I was stressing about my finances. I was stressing about how to provide for being able to go out to eat enough, to be able to go to the movies enough, to be able to do these fun things that I thought I really needed to do to be satisfied in life. And every month, I was anxious about having enough money in my bank account. There's a lot of anxieties that can build up in our life. And Jesus is saying, you don't need to be anxious about these things. So what does he go on to encourage us to have instead of this? Notice he says all the nations are seeking after these things. If you're just worrying about the stuff that everybody else is worrying about in the, in the world, if what's on the news is getting you going, then you're worrying about what the world is worrying about, not about what Jesus is worrying about. We've got to get our concern based upon the Word of God, not from the news. Notice what it says, verse 31. But seek the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. Seek first his kingdom. If you put his kingdom first, everything else will be added to you. It'll all be taken care of if you'll put the first thing first. And that is Jesus and his kingdom. <laughs> and, and that might sound stressful. Well, his kingdom, how do I make sure to, to make all that take place? Notice what the kingdom is like. Verse 32, Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Seek first His kingdom, which by the way, it's His good pleasure to give this to you. The omnipotent God, all-powerful God of the universe wants to give you the kingdom. His yoke is easy and His burden is light. Sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourself money bags which do not grow old as treasure in the heavens that does not fail where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I have to ask myself, what, are, what has the train of my thoughts? What has my pocketbook? What, what has my time? Is it his kingdom first and foremost? Because that brings peace of mind. Just look at the experience of the other man. The one who was homeless and exhausted and thirsty and hungry in a place where he probably shouldn't have been. Go to John chapter 4 where we find somebody who's able to find rest in a way that, that is kind of foreign to us in our society today. John chapter 4 Verse 1 tells us that something's going on in Jerusalem. It says, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John. You catch that? Jesus hears that the Pharisees know the fact that his ministry is more successful, that things are going good for him, and that there's so much attraction to him that it's better than John's ministry. Notice what Jesus does in verse 3. So he left Judea, and departed again to Galilee. Remember, he invites us to learn of him, for he is meek and lowly of heart. Jesus is having all this attraction to himself and his ministry. and He says, I'm going to step back from that because this is creating conflict. And the meek and lowly one went off on a journey to another place. Jesus wasn't stressed and anxious because it wasn't about Him. It was about bringing glory to His Father. It was about doing His Father's work. It was about being yoked up with His Father. And He invites us to be yoked up with Him so that we can experience rest of heart and soul. So, verse 4 continues. I love this. But He needed to go through Samaria. Did He need to go through Samaria? 
A lot of people went through the Jordan River Valley instead. But Jesus needed to go through Samaria. That, that area where the Samaritans were the ones who were, had mixed Yahweh's worship with idolatry. They were the ones who had persecuted them when they were rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. They were the ones who had intermarried with foreigners who were the half-breed, uh, who, who weren't even a part of the Jews anymore. They just didn't even want to talk to them. They didn't want to have social interactions with them. They stayed as far away from the Samaritans as possible because they just were not good people. But Jesus needed to go to Samaria. He's having success in Judea and Jerusalem, but he needed to go to Samaria. Because why? Because in Samaria, there's, there's a woman there who's despised even by Samaritans because she's had five husbands and the one she's living with now is not her husband. And so Jesus, notice verse 5, Jesus, so he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. It's noon. It's hot. Jesus is exhausted. Jesus knows what it feels like to be physically exhausted. I don't know if you're feeling tired this morning. Jesus knows what's that like, what that's like. Jesus knows what it's like to, to need to sit down and have some rest. And so he sat down at the well. And, and this conversation ensues, which we've talked about not too long ago, where this woman comes to the well and he asks her for a drink because he's thirsty and he can't even get his own water from the well because he doesn't have anything to draw water with. And as this conversation ensues, he begins to unpack how he wants to give this lady the water of life. And the lady eventually is given a revelation that is, is greater than Jesus ever gave to the Pharisees and the scribes or any of the crowds. He only told his disciples this, but he told them not to tell anybody else about it. But he told this woman, I who am speaking to you am the Messiah. He revealed to her that he himself was the promised one who had come to save. And this woman runs off to tell the town about how this man has told her everything that she's ever done. Imagine that. Here are the Samaritans. They know that she hides from them. And they know what she's done. And she comes running saying, I'm going to tell you about the man who told me absolutely everything that I've ever done. And they're looking at her. Why is she so happy about that? Why is she excited about him revealing her life to her? Because the judgment is not a scary thing when you're coming in contact with a God of infinite love and you have your heart open to him to, to do the work of cleaning your heart out. And she's so excited about it because she is fully known and she is fully loved. But now notice... Jesus, remember, we're focusing in on, on this tired, homeless man who's sitting by a well. Let's pick up the story in verse 27, uh, verse 28. The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and told the men what we just said. Come see a man who told me all these things. Could this be the Christ? Then look at verse 30. Then they went out of the city and came to him. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. You need nourishment. You've been exhausted. You're tired. Jesus, we went into the city. We got you food. We've brought it back for you. Here, eat. You're going to feel better if you could just have some food to eat. But verse 32, 
He answered and said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said to him, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. My food, my satisfaction, my my rest comes from being yoked with the Father, from doing his will, putting his kingdom first. That energizes me. That excites me to see that this woman left her water pot there. Do you see that she went off to tell the people about me? I am so thrilled by that 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 nothing physical even matters anymore. Jesus ate, but it's like he almost didn't need to because he was so satisfied by getting to share about this God of infinite love. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work verse 35 do you not say there there are still four months and then come the harvest behold i say to you lift up your eyes and look at the fields for they are already white for harvest now here's the thing stress has shifted in my life the reason that i toss and turn at night has changed i am determined to seek first the kingdom of god in my life I'm determined to live for God. And and I don't worry month to month anymore about finances, even though it doesn't always make sense. God always makes the finances work. I'm not really worried about housing or other things like that because God takes care of those things. But I find myself stressing out about seeing people saved. I find myself burdened about God's work. I find myself burdened about our church. I find myself weighed down by these things. And And I too need the invitation today. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Because Jesus isn't saying, hey, if you come to me, I'm going to give you something different to stress out about in your life. I'm going to give you a list of things that you got to do and that's going to so stress you out and burden you that your life is going to be an incredible burden that nobody would want. You see, we do an incredible disservice to God by acting like the Christian life is difficult. In fact, check this out. This is from an article, Signs of the Times, September 2, 1889. It says, Shall we go on mistrusting our Heavenly Father's love and doubting His goodness? What greater injury could we do to our children and our friends than to give them such false impressions of Christian life. I can do incredible damage to my own children if I represent to them that the Christian life is tough, it's hard. But if I yoke up with Jesus, His yoke is easy, His burden is light. If I'm focused in on serving and loving and giving, that can change absolutely everything. And I'm here to tell you that I'm growing in that, but I'm not there yet. So what do I need from what Jesus says here? Notice that He says to His disciples, you think that This harvest is four months off. But I'm here to tell you, lift up your eyes. The harvest is already now. Just lift your eyes up a little bit higher and see that that there are people who are ready to receive this gift of knowledge of an incredible God now. And then it goes on to use that word that we're talking about here, 
in the next couple of verses. It says, And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. You see what he just told the disciples? He said, hey, lift up your eyes and look. Lift them a little higher and see what I am doing, what the Holy Spirit is doing. The labor is already being done for you when you yoke up with Jesus. And you can enter into that labor and experience the joy of the reward. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You who labor, I will give you rest. So, the Tuesday before last, <clears throat> Pastor Dan Cerns, who's a new Central California Conference president, when he came to, through our town, he's a real personable, friendly guy, he had called up my dad and said, hey, I want to get together for lunch with you and your family. And he invited both of us to go out to eat. And we went out to eat, and I began to notice something about this guy from the very start. He had in his pocket glow tracks, which you can get inside here in our lobby anytime. Come and get glow tracks. Gary's really good about keeping those filled in there. So he's got glow tracks in his pocket, something that I also like to do, carry those around and share them with people. But he would do this everywhere he went. We walk into the restaurant and the, the checker, he, he gives, he says, hey, here's something to brighten your day. Maybe you could read it when you're on a, a, a break or something like that. Here's something to brighten your day. She's like, oh, okay, thank you. And then we go to sit down and the server, when she comes, hey, here's something to brighten your day. You can read this on break or just sometime when you want. It'll, it'll encourage you. She's like, oh, well, thank you. We get done with our conversation and we're beginning to walk off and he's going to the next table over and saying, hey, here's something to brighten your day. <laughs> just take this and read it when you get a chance. And then he looks at my dad and I and he says, Jesus told the disciples, you think that the harvest is four months off. Lift up your eyes and see. The harvest is now. There are people all around us, people that are in desperate need of knowing who this God of infinite love and grace is. They need to know that you've got a God who gives you joy, who gives you peace, who takes away your worry and anxiety and cares, who you can rest in because there's going to be a group of people who will have no rest day or night, and we get to invite the world into a restful relationship with Christ. So we continued on, and his car was further on than ours, and he wanted to come by and look at the farm. And we, my dad and I hopped into our cars, and he walked on down the street. As he's walking on his way down the street, he sees a man, an older man, and I'm watching him out the window of my car. He's going to his car. He sees a man there, and he, I figured he's telling the guy he's going to brighten his day. I couldn't hear him. And then all of a sudden, that man starts coming towards him with his finger like this. I was like, uh-oh. This time, that guy didn't want his day brightened. I'm pretty sure of that. But well, then they begin talking back and forth, and pretty soon you, this, this conversation is going on. It probably went on about 10 minutes, it felt like. And then they began to pray together. I said, well, okay, maybe actually this went a lot better than I thought. And when we got here, he said, you know, I'm sorry to delay you guys, but I just said, I got to give this to one more guy. I got to brighten one more guy's day. And as I gave it to him, he came after me and he said, you know what this world needs? It needs God. 
It needs to get back to God. That's what our country needs. Thank you for giving me this that tells me about God. We need to get this out to more people. And as we began to talk, he told me about the band of brothers that meets on Wednesday mornings in Paso Robles. He invited me to it. I said, hey, I'm out of town, but I'll invite some others to come out to it. And this conversation ensued. Friends, lift up your eyes for the harvest is greater than you realize. There are people who are looking for Jesus. And one person sows, Jesus says there, and one person reaps. Pastor Dan isn't going to reap the glow, from the glow tracks that he gave. We live here in this town. We interact with these people. And your mission may not be to give glow tracks to every single person you see. Maybe it is. And if it is, do that. But we can spread the light of His love. We can show what a restful life looks like and we can give invitations to experience that life too. As we close today, I want to invite you to consider something that's coming up. Pastor Dan, for those of you that came to the meeting that Tuesday night, he challenged all the churches in Central California to do something. He said, December 11, I want every church to fill its baptistry with water. Fill your baptistry. He said, some of you have got stuff stored in there. Some of you have got cracks in your baptistry. You need to make sure that that thing's working. Thankfully, our baptistry, we are well aware, is working. We just had a a beautiful baptism this summer. He said, December 11, fill your baptistry. And he said, go to your, your church members and challenge them to be praying for people to be ready on that day. He said, fill it whether or not there's baptisms happening that day so that that you can remind yourselves what the church exists for. But I want to invite you to be praying that God will lift our eyes a little bit higher, that as we enter into more and more restfulness, as we yoke up with Him, as we put His kingdom first, we can begin asking, God, who is it that I need to see around me? Who is it that I can give an invitation to? What could I do in order to invite more people to this restful life in Christ, a life of peace, of freedom from anxiety? So I have these cards. I've given them out to you before. It was a couple years ago. They just have a simple, simple four ideas on it. How to easily like people. Like being an acronym. One, it gives you space to list five to ten people here. Just list five to ten people that, that you like them enough that you like to see them experiencing rest rather than no rest day and night. And just write them down there. The next The I is for intercede. Intercede for them daily. Just pray for them every day. Pray that God will reveal to them His love, that He will give them that invitation to come to Him. The K is for kindness. Show them kindness through your words and actions towards them. Just figure out ways to surprise them with kindness. Do things for them that are extraordinary. Show them kindness. And the final one is E, encourage. When the opportunity opens up, pray for the Holy Spirit to do this. Encourage them to Bible study and to make a decision to accept Jesus. And it it might surprise you. You pray for these people. You don't know. It may take years and years for God to work in their life. Or it may be that by December 11, some of those people will already want to accept Jesus in baptism. But Pastor Dan said, don't wait until December 11 to fill up your baptistry. Because... People are going to start praying for these people and you're going to see people want to be baptized before that. And what you can do is baptize those people and then baptize their friends' friends by the time December 11 comes around. He's got a lot of excitement and belief in what God can do. And I believe Jesus wants for all of us to lift up our eyes. 
Because the harvest truly is great. It truly is ready because the Holy Spirit is working on every single heart. I want to close by reading this encouraging uh, conclusion to that paragraph in Desire of Ages, page 330. Jesus invites us to accept his invitation. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. He bids us seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and his promises that all things needful to us will be added. Worry is blind and cannot discern the future, but Jesus sees the end from the beginning. In every difficulty, he has his way prepared to bring relief. Every difficulty, any challenge that you may face, he's already got the answers to it. Our Heavenly Father has a thousand ways to provide for us of which we know nothing. Do you believe that? The more that we really truly believe that, the more rest and peace we'll have day to day. Those who accept the one principle of making the service and honor of God supreme will find perplexities vanish and a plain path before their feet. I can assure you that the more that I fix my eyes on Jesus, I see this to be a reality. I have far less stress than that teenager tossing and turning in the front seat of his car. But I realize that Jesus has a whole lot more to invite me to. And I believe he's inviting you to it. To come unto him, you who are weary and heavy laden, and he will give you rest. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father, for who you are, that it is your good pleasure to give us the kingdom. Thank you that your eye is on the sparrow and how much more you're watching over us. Lord, forgive us for our lack of faith. Open our eyes to see the God of loving care that you are. And may that give us rest of heart, mind, and soul. May you give us peace in the midst of the chaos. May you give us trust that you care about our needs. That we don't have to be a part of those who are seeking to preserve themselves, to preserve their stuff in the end. Because we have a God who cares about all of that. And we can simply put your kingdom first. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.